Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. And we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 11. If you can stand to your feet and honor reading God's word, uh, we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 11. Um, and if we haven't met yet, my name is Caleb Slav. You call me CJ. I'm the pastor at Riverside Church. And I'm so excited to bring this word that God has placed on my heart. And uh, I, I really believe that God has something in store for us. But this is what it reads. Context of it is this is um, earlier in the life of David this is before David is on the throne but he is still married to Michael the daughter of Saul and in verse 11 Saul is if y'all if y'all know the story Saul got pretty jealous of David tried to kill him on a number of times uh, he even tried to he on two separate occasions he tried to throw a spear at David to kill him like you thought you had bad relationships with your in-laws you don't. Be thankful for your in-laws. Amen? You didn't think you'd be saying that at church, huh? But Saul was jealous of him, tried to murder him, kill him, tried to do away with him. And, and where we pick up is that uh, Saul is trying again to go after David. Verse 11, it says, Then Saul sent troops to watch David's house. They were told to kill David when he came out the, um, the next morning. But Michal, David's wife, warned him and said, If you don't escape tonight, you will be dead by morning. So she helped him climb out through a window, and he fled and escaped. Then she took an idol. Everybody say idol. She took an idol and put it in his bed, covered it with blankets, and put a cushion of goats here at its head. Now, idols are a representation of a pagan or false god. An idol would be something that a paganistic household would have but then that brings up the, the the question is why would David's household have a false idol in it why would David's household who is called the, the man after God's own heart why would he have a pagan idol in his house we're gonna jump to Joshua chapter 24 verse um, 14 now this is Joshua warning the people of Israel about the danger of having idols in your home again remember in this series we're talking about the home and in Joshua 24 verse 14 he says now therefore fear the Lord serve him in sincerity and in truth everybody say truth in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river in Egypt but serve the Lord everybody say serve the Lord says serve the Lord and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve Joshua was telling the whole Israel look whether you like it or not you're going to serve a God whether if it's the one true God or a paganistic God a cultural God whether you like it or not you are going to serve and worship somebody and then he was telling the nation of Israel that he said whether it's the gods which your father serves that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell but as for me and my house we will serve the Lord come on who knows that we are called to serve the Lord and that's the title for tonight's message is as for me and my house as for me and my house let's pray over tonight father we thank you for what you're doing in this place we thank you god right now we welcome in your holy spirit father if there's any distractions if there's any type of blockages father that's trying to restrict god the freedom of your spirit right now we remove that in the name of jesus we thank you for open minds and soft hearts that we're ready god to step into everything that you have for us today god have your way holy spirit we are here for you we do not hear to we're not gathered today to hear from a person we've gathered today to hear from your spirit so father communicate what you want to communicate say what you want to say and God we thank you that we have the opportunity to be in your presence tonight and to grow God into the more of the person you've called us to be we love you Jesus and everybody says amen amen come on give Jesus a hand clap of praise tonight and y'all can be seated y'all can be seated thank y'all for standing in honor of reading God's word but what really stuck out to me 
is in that passage of scripture, and we weren't able to really read it all today in, in 1 Samuel where his wife, Michael, uh, had an idol in the house and placed it in his home. But what stood out to me is, David, what are you doing allowing idols, false gods, in your home? Now, theologians argue whether or not it belonged to David or if it belonged to Michael. But to me, that goes beyond the point because in the end, David, that's his house. In the end, David has responsibility for what's in his home. So it doesn't matter if it's his aunt. It doesn't matter if it's his uncle. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's his children. If it's in the house, David has responsibility for what goes on in the home. And whether you like it or not, you have the responsibility for what's in your house. If you're a single person in a place tonight and you live by yourself, you still have the responsibility for what goes on in your home. If you're the father of the household, you better believe you have the responsibility of what goes on in your home. If you're a single parent tonight, you still have the responsibility of knowing and what is going on in your home. But if we do not take the responsibility of our home and take control of the atmosphere and the culture of our home, who knows that if we don't take responsibility for it, somebody else will. If we don't step in and begin to, to separate what is from God and what is from not, if we don't begin to take responsibility for what goes on in our homes, somebody else will. Rather that be culture, whether that be somebody else, whether that be something, another influence, if we are not intentional about what goes on in the home, who knows, somebody else will. David was called the man after God's own heart. He was a worshiper. We've talked about David a lot last couple of months. He, he was a worshiper. He, he loved God with all his heart. But how did he allow a false idol in his home. David allowed an idol in his house. And that's really the first question for tonight is, are there idols in our home? Is there something in our home that can be an idol, something that is a false really place in our life that we put above and a priority higher than God? Because that's really what... It, the definition of an idol is, if you want to know what does an idol mean in our perspective, is, is an idol is anything, everybody say anything, an idol is anything that you put before God. So if you put money before God, guess what? Money is now your idol. If you put a person before God, guess what? That person is now your idol. There's so many people caught up in people worship, and they don't even know it. There's a lot of people caught up in, in idolizing different uh, celebrities, people, politicians, that they don't even realize that they have created idols in their home. Anything that you put above God is an idol. Possessions can be an idol. If you put something higher than God, now that has become an idol in your life. Because if you think about it, how can God bless anything you put above them how can God bless anything that you say well you know what God I, I'm thankful for you here I'm thankful for you there but money is so important to me that I got to put that above you or this possession is so important to me that I got to put it above you and then God cannot bless that because now you have made an idol in your home so how did David allow false idols in his house? I don't think it happened all at once. I think it happened over time. Because, again, if you read that scripture like we read this past Sunday, Michael, now and this is probably 10 years after this scripture, but Michael saw David dancing and worshiping God, and it, scripture says in her heart she had contempt for him and didn't like how he was worshiping the one true God. So as you can see, it, this didn't happen overnight, but it happened this, uh, maybe a little bit of toleration on the part of David. Maybe he said, you know what, um, 
Michael came from a home that didn't really prioritize God's presence, so I will tolerate if she just brings in, maybe if it's just one little idol or if it's one little this. But what you tolerate in one season, you will begin to integrate in another season. What you allow in your home one season, over time, now you're that what you tolerated, now it's fully integrated into your home. Something that you never thought would be a part of the culture of your home now has become integrated. Now it's a facet part of it. Why? Because you tolerated it, and over time, it became the culture of your home. But if we look back at Joshua 24, 15, this is Joshua talking to the, all, the, all, all the tribes and the families and the households of Israel, and he said it to this. He says, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether it's the gods which your uh, father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in, the, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So what Joshua was speaking, and also prior in this passage of Scripture, which we're going to go over together shortly, Joshua describes, really God through Joshua describes three different parts of the history and of the life of Israel. And God begins to describe what I believe were three different avenues of idols of how they could enter in the homes of the Israelites. And if you read the scripture of the, of, of the past chapter, God describes it, and not only does he describe it, he describes it with a timeline and also geographic location of where it took place. We have a map of where it shows, and I made this map myself, though, so don't make fun of it. But what you might not be able to see, but there's three passages of scripture about to go over in Joshua 24, but God describes... Uh, the gods that they served on the east, everybody say east, on the east side of Euphrates. And then he describes the gods that were served in Egypt on the west side of the Red Sea. And then he describes the gods that were in that red uh, shape, which represents the promised land. So God in, uh, begins to describe these three different locations of both place and then also time and the history of Israel. And he, be he begins to remind them and describe them of all the paganistic history that were in the lives of the Israelites. And he begins to show them them and begins to remind him really who the one true God is. Because I don't know about you, sometimes you need to be reminded about how powerful God you serve. Sometimes you need to be reminded about how faithful of a God you serve. And sometimes you got to be reminded that nothing can replace the power of our God. There's no, there's no idol. There's nothing that the world can offer that can replace or replicate God. And this is what really Joshua 24 is all about. It's an awesome read. Uh, read it in its totalitarian if you have the time. Um, but that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at these three different instances in Scripture in Joshua 24 where God describes the different locations of the false gods that they once served and where it relates to us and, uh, and, and really what different avenues that idols can enter into our home. The first one is Joshua 24, verse 2. So in Joshua 24, verse 2, this is when God begins to describe the paganistic gods that the fathers of Abraham used to serve. This is what he said. In verse 2, it says, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Naor, dwelt on the other side of the river. He's referring to the river Euphrates. He said, on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Everybody say, other gods. It says, then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. So in that first part of Scripture, God reminds him and brings up the paganistic gods that the forefathers of Abraham used to serve. Because something that we tend to forget or not remember is that Abraham, the first Jew or Israelite, right, Abraham, his family and his fathers came from a paganistic roots and history. 
They didn't serve the one true God. God called out Abraham, and then Abraham followed after the voice of God, and then God promised Abraham that out of your seed will come a people that I will be with. But before that, before Abraham, his fathers, they served paganistic gods. But that brought up a question in my mind. Why would God, when he brings, you got to remember this. He has brought together the whole nation of Israel, and now God's trying to tell them something. And the first thing he brings up is how their great, 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 great grandfather, I don't know how many greats, it's probably a lot, about how their great, great grandfather leading all the way to Abraham, how they were paganistic and served idols and were part of a system and a culture that was not of God. That brings up the question, God, why would you bring that up? Why, why, why would you bring up our great, 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 great father's history, and how does that help me now? But see, God was trying to warn them and help them about how they can keep out those paganistic idols in their lives. And the reason why he brought up past generations is because he knew that what one generation does affects the next. God understands that what we do now doesn't just end with us when we pass from this world. What we do now can last generations and generations and generations. This is what Numbers 14, 18 says. It says, the Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. But everybody say but. But, probably shouldn't have said that one. But he does not excuse the guilty. That's a good one. Everybody say guilty. That's a better one. He does not excuse the guilty, but he lays the sins of the parents upon their children. An entire family is effective, even children in the third and fourth generation. What God was trying to tell the Israelites by bringing up what their great-great-great-grandfather did, he was trying to tell them, look, yes, that is in your really forefather's history, but if you're not careful, what mistakes they made can they be poured onto you if you don't know what to look out for. Generational curses can get upon you if you don't have the identity of who you truly are. He was trying to warn the people of Israel that if you don't know where you came from, if you don't know what the enemy had maybe a hold of your great-great-grandfather on, then you will be susceptible to the same things that they filled in. See, really, and this is the first avenue, the first avenue that idols can enter our life is from past generations. Everybody say past generations. It's from previous or past generations. It is possible, and it happens more often than not, for us to inherit both physical, spiritual, and emotional patterns from previous generations. Scripture says it happens, and not only that, science has caught up with it. Have you ever gone into a doctor, and what's one of the first things they ask you? What is the medical history of your family, right? And I, I don't know about you. Sometimes, like, well, what does that have to do with anything, right? I'm in here with a headache. I don't, I don't know what grandma had. But that's what they ask. They ask, what is your family's medical history? Because science has even proven that if somebody has a type of disease or cancer, that it can be passed down to the next generation and a generation after that and a generation after that. To me, that sounds like Numbers 14, 18 that says it could last three or four generations, right? Not only that, I know you probably heard this before where you're saying, well, you know what? Um, Maybe not a physical issue that has been passed on to a generation, but maybe it's a, a lifestyle issue that has been passed on generation to generation. I've heard somebody tell me about giving up um, alcoholism. They're saying, look, I tried, but it's in my blood. I tried, but my dad was a drunk, his dad was a drunk, their dad was a drunk, and so you know what? I can try to fight it, but it's in my blood to live that lifestyle. And I've heard that said to me before. 
I've heard it said in, in lives of, of addiction, of things like this, where they, where they have convinced themselves because of the mistakes that their forefathers made, they have to make the same decisions that they did and be limited and be, and be really entrapped in the same prison that their grandfather and their fathers were. I've also heard people make, I want, okay, I'll say excuses. Because it is an excuse when they say this. I also heard about choices they've made in relationships, that they make these choices because it runs in their family to have short marriages. It runs in their family to have divorce. It runs in their family to be abusive to each other. And, I, and every time you hear this, you, right, when you hear it, from the outside, it just sounds crazy, but imagine if your father was divorced early and then their father, and then all these generations, you could look at all that and say, you know what, what chance do I have to have a healthy marriage if my parents did it and if my grandparents did it, did it and the parents before them didn't have a great marriage? Why would I expect myself to have a healthy marriage? But these things may have been in homes of the past, but these things don't have to be in the homes of the present. Just because maybe you have a line of heart disease in your family, it doesn't mean that you are going to have heart disease in your life. You might have a line of alcoholism, addiction in your family where nobody's known what it is to be sober, but you can be the first one to live a life that is sober, that is strong, of the right mind, the right accord. You might not come from a family of healthy marriages, but who knows? You can raise your hand and say, I'm going to be the first. I want my children to see a healthy relationship between a husband and a wife. We are not limited by the past mistakes of our family. That's what John 8, 34 says. It says, Jesus answered them, said, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not obey, abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, the son makes you free, and you shall be free indeed. Who's thankful to be free from any generational curse? For anything that our family decided to do, it doesn't matter what was passed on to you. It can end with you right now. It doesn't matter what type of uh, whatever the culture was of past families. If they didn't line up with God, guess what? You can be the first one to line up with God and say, I'm going to be the one to break the curse, not continue the curse. I'm going to be the one who's going to break this, and I'm not going to be the one to continue this. We have that choice. But here's the flip side. is that not only can we leave generational curses behind, but we can leave generational blessings behind as well. Where sin leaves generational curses, us being aligned with God and being obedient will leave generational blessings for our, for our children to uphold. Because I don't know about you, I don't want my children to pay the price for my problems. I don't want my children to carry the same weight, to carry the same mistakes, to carry the same wrongdoings that I did. I want it to end with me, and all I want them to carry are blessings, favor, and fruit because we were able to break it and start a new thing. I want to leave family blessings, not burdens, behind. I want to leave family where they can look back and say, you know what, I, because my father was a man of God, I feel like now I can walk in that footsteps because a, a trail was blazed. I don't feel like I have to run through all these obstacles of what past family has been. No, now a, a trail has been blazed, and now our children can walk in an easier path and say yes to Jesus. Why? Because we say yes to him, and we change the whole flow around. Who's thankful we can break whatever curse might be upon you right now? We break it in the name of Jesus. We break it in the name of Jesus. That's the first avenue that false idols can come in are idols that our past generation struggled with. And the next one in Joshua 24, verse 5, 
Now, then God begins to talk about Egypt, and he begins to describe what happened in Egypt, and he says this to all the nations of Israel. He says, also, I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt. Everybody say, out of Egypt. We brought your fathers out of Egypt. He brought us out of the bondage. He brought us out of what the past was. And you came to the sea, and Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So in this passage, right, he just reminded them of what he did for all the past generations, even before Abraham. But then in this passage, God begins to talk to them about the life they had in Egypt that wasn't that long ago. He begins to tell them about what he did for them in in the bondage, in the place where they were entrapment that wasn't that far removed, maybe 40, 50 years removed from this time. He begins to remind them, and really that's what Egypt represented. Egypt represented where Israel was while they were still in bondage. The past mistakes they had made. Maybe the, the, the false idols they served while they were in Egypt. Maybe the, the bad cultural mindsets they had while they were in Egypt. It was Egypt represented the history that they had, the personal history that they had before God saved them. It was where they were before God saved them. That's the second avenue that, that idols can enter our lives is from our past history. Everybody say past history. From our past really personal history. Does anybody remember what life was like before Jesus? Does anybody remember that? Because I know I remember that. Does anybody remember how really much of a struggle it was to live life without Jesus? Does anybody remember how, how difficult it was to keep your temper down without Jesus in your life? Just me? Does anybody remember their life before Jesus? This is what God was trying to remind Israel. He said, there was a life before me, before I was freeing you, and that looked like Egypt. You were entrapped. You were enslaved. There was nothing you could do to be free. But it took a God to go and to save you, to bring you out of Egypt and into the promise. Sometimes we have to remember where we were before Jesus. And not just all of us, not just some of us were messed up before Jesus. Who knows we were all messed up before Jesus. Because you got to watch yourself. If you think, if you look back on your life before Jesus and say, well, you know, my life has gotten maybe a little bit better. But, you know, I was doing good on my own. If you have that mindset, the enemy can convince you to go back when things get tough. That's what, the, what, that's what the enemy tried to do to the people of Israel, right? Life got tough after they got free, and they said, you know what? It's better, to me, better for me to be in Egypt. But if you look back on your life, and you have really the revelation, and you are honest with yourself, come on, somebody. If you're honest with yourself and say, no, my life before Jesus was so messed up, I don't care what I'm going through now, I ain't going back. I'm not going to Egypt. I'm not going to the past really history that I had, but you got to be careful because really that's what the enemy will try to make us do is he will try to bring in idols of the past. If there are idols of our life before Jesus, and he will try to bring in those idols that we had of the past and bring them into our present. Like you remember, and he will try to, he will, he will try to, he will try to sneak them into your life, right? Like, you remember when you first got saved and you were so on fire for God, you deleted all the non-Christian music on your phone? Anybody remember that? Like, you were so on fire, like, I'm doing everything. You deleted all the non-Christian music. Then all of a sudden, your favorite artist drops a new song. And you're like, what does one song going to do? Like, it's not, you know, it's not going to be that bad. Or you remember when... You, you said to yourself, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to watch any movie that's rated R, that cusses, that has anything bad in it. I'm, I, I cut that off. And all of a sudden, your favorite actor shows up in another movie. You watch the trailer, and you're like, man, is one movie really going to, you know, 
but you have to watch yourself. Now, those are small examples, but what if the enemy tries to bring in an old addiction into your life? What if the enemy tries to bring in old insecurities in your life? What if the enemy tries to bring in some old idols of your past and tries to bring it into your present? We have to be intentional about where we are because that's how it starts. It starts with small things before the enemy can then convince us of bigger things. It starts with things that maybe we overlook before it leads us to things that we regret. Now, I'm not saying that we have to live so religiously that we live in a box. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that we have to live intentionally. That if we live a life of saying, I'm going to do whatever by default where the wind takes me, we're going to find our place, our, our life in places we, we thought we would never be. But we say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm choosing to live for you. I'm not going to allow what was in the old and the past come into my present. Because here's the thing, that's really not me anymore. I am a new creation in Christ. If you do that, you'll be able to stay in the correct mindset to not allow any old idols, any idols from your past history, any idols that were before Jesus come into your life. Because that's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. It says, therefore, anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. Everybody say new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So whenever the enemy tries to reintroduce the old, you need to remind him, I am now new. Whenever the enemy tries to say, Oh, you remember what it used to feel like? You remember what it used to be like? You remember, you remember how it used to be before Jesus? Hey, it won't hurt if we bring in maybe one small idol. It won't hurt if, I, if we bring in maybe a little thing that goes against where you know you need to be. But it starts with something small where the enemy tries to reintroduce you to the old. And the enemy will even try to say this. You're still the same person. Right? You're still, no, you know, you did all those things. You're still that same person. But you got to remind the enemy that, no, I am a new creation. The old is dead. All those things have passed away. All those things before Jesus, guess what? If you're looking for that guy before Jesus, he doesn't exist. Because the new creation is here. I'm not going to allow old idols come into the new creation that I am in Christ Jesus. See, as a new creation, we have now the power over the old that used to have the power over us. That's really what's so powerful is that as a new creation, we now have the upper hand over what used to have the upper hand over us. Before Jesus, addiction was unbeatable. After Jesus, now when addiction comes away, we have something stronger, more powerful that we can lean into the strength of God and overpower what used to overpower us. See, the old is gone, but the new is here. Turn to your neighbor and say, the old me is gone. The old me is gone. Last one, last one. Joshua 24, 15. So if you're kind of catching the pattern... First, God begins to describe the idols, the mistakes, and the lifestyles of previous generations a hundred years, four or five generations back. And then, he begin, then after that, he tells them and reminds them about Egypt that really a majority that were there had experienced that culture of Egypt. And he begins to remind them of what their life was before God freed them and while they were trapped in Egypt. And then here's the last thing he reminds them of in, in 24, 15. It says this. We read it, but we're going to read it again. Verse 15, it says, And it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. Choose for yourself this name whom, whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, he's talking about the, the fathers of Abraham, that were on the other side of the river, which is Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites, and this is what I want us to focus on, or the gods of the Amorites in, the, in whose land you dwell. 
He said, or the, the, the gods of the Amorites who is in the land that you are currently in. Now he brings it to the present circumstance. He, he talked about generations past. He talked about their personal history that happened not too long ago. And then he starts talking about right now. And then that's when Joshua said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So God talked about the, the false idols of Abraham's past generations. God talked about the false idols of Egypt. But then God began to talk about the false gods and idols that were in the land that, that they were presently in. He begins to tell them about the, the, the false idols that were currently in the promised land, that were currently in the space that they occupy as well. And really that is what was... The kicker, the catch to the promised land is that when the people of Israel crossed the Jordan and they entered into the promised land, the promised land wasn't empty when they entered. The promised land was occupied by the enemy. It wasn't just open. It wasn't open real estate. We could just walk in and say, okay, this is mine now. No, there, there were enemies. There were cities. There were false gods. There were, there, were, there were paganistic cultures all in the promised land. And so Israel had a choice. They could either be intimidated by the enemy or they could fight for what they were promised. And follow after God and fight and begin to battle and begin to be led by God into the promised land. And that's really what the book of Joshua is all about, if you've read it. Some, it's even considered the book of conquest because it's a book about Israel following after God and conquering the promised land. And how each and every moment, God, if you read the book of Joshua, you'll begin to see how, how specific, how much of a strategy, how much of a direction God had for the people of Israel against the enemies that were against them. If you think you serve a God that doesn't have a strategy, then you're wrong. Read the book of Joshua, right? If you read the book of Joshua, you're going to be, wow, this is the guy who's leading me? Because he's the greatest general that, ever, that has ever been. He's the greatest leader that's ever been. He has the insight. And so Israel trusted their general God to lead them into battle to defeat the enemy. And they would have to rely on God each and every day. They had to rely on God to, to lead them and so that they, they could be able to defeat the enemy. And if there was ever a time where they were distracted and they drifted away from God, those were the only times they experienced defeat. The only times Israel experienced defeat is when they drifted away from God. And this is what Joshua was trying to remind the people. He was saying, look, we have entered into the promised land, but do not drift away from what God is here. We have entered into what God has promised us, but do not put it on neutral and think that now that we have entered, there's nothing else for us to do. We can live life by default, and there's nothing that's going to be able to then, there's nothing that we're going to be able to lose. But Joshua's telling them, no, look, presently right now, there are paganistic gods in where we dwell, and if we're not careful, the culture of today, the society of today, the world around us will influence our homes. And that if we're not careful each and every day, if we don't, that's why, that's why us relying on God each and every day for each and every decision is so important. Because if we try to, to really rely on yesterday for tomorrow, but we don't choose to live for him today, then we're going to be lost and we're going to drift away. If we don't choose to live for him day after day and say, you know what, God, I choose you moment after moment. If we don't choose to have that relationship with him, then we will fall away with the default of the culture that the world has. And that's what Joshua was trying to say. And that's the last avenue that idols enter our home is our present decisions. The decisions that we make each and every day, the decisions that we do each and every moment, that is an avenue for idols to enter into our home. 
If we do not learn to walk with God daily, if we do not learn to, to find a way to each and every day to be aligned with God, we're on our own. If we just choose to live on our own, we're going to drift away from what God is here. And that's what Joshua is trying to tell him. That's why it's so important for us to be consistent each and every day. That's why our private life matters. What you do in the home matters. It's not just Sundays and Wednesdays. It's at the home. What you do in the home each and every day matters so dearly. It matters what we choose to do. It matters what we choose to, it matters if we choose to pray every day. I'm telling you, if, if, if you haven't learned yet, I encourage you, learn how to pray each and every day. Now, that doesn't mean to have an hour-long prayer meeting. You don't have to. If you have the calendar, good for you. If the calendar is open for that, that's awesome. But even if it's just 10 minutes a day where you can get in God's presence and get refreshed and refocused, you're going to have the direction that you need for that day. You, know you want to know what burnout is? People always say, I feel spiritually burned out. You don't want to know what burnout is? Burnout is when you are relying on yesterday's prayers for today's motivation. That's burnout. Burnout is when you're relying on last week's prayer for today's inspiration to do what you need to do. That's burnout. Burnout is when you are relying on, on something of the past, what you did in the past, to give you the direction for the present. But you got to be careful because you can almost convince yourself that I've prayed enough, I've read enough, I, I've done enough. I don't really need to do it today because I've done so much yesterday. Man, I prayed so much last week. It's going to last me a month. But it doesn't work that way. Matter of fact, you could pray 10 hours yesterday, but you still got to pray today. And that's where we're able to walk with God each and every day is we're saying, God, it's not about the quantity. It's about the quality with you. It's not about me always trying to play catch up in your prayers, always trying to catch up and say, God, you know, I'm sorry for what I did. Let me make up for it in prayer time. What if we went ahead of time? And instead of praying catch up with our prayers, we're consistent with our prayers. And now we have the direction for what we need to do. That's why it's so important. And that's what creates culture. You know want to know what creates culture in your life? There's no way around it. I wish, I wish it was easier than this. I really, would, I really do. I wish we could snap our fingers and we have the culture. But only through consistently consistency can we build culture only through consistency that's the only way to build a culture in your home it's not what you do every once in a while it's what you do every day that's what builds a culture you want your children to be able to see and to prioritize prayer then they need to see prayer being prioritized in the home you want your children to prioritize living for God then they need to see it in the home each and every day, and that's what builds culture. But here's the awesome thing about culture. That's one, once it's built, it's hard to stop. Once culture is built, and once you've been consistent, when the enemy tries to convince you that you don't have to pray today, you can be, look, look, I pray every day. That's not even up for debate, devil. Yes, I'm praying today because it's a culture that we have built in our homes, and that's what leads us to be consistent. Because if we don't create the culture of our homes by design, it will be created by default. I'm telling you, somebody else, whether that's an idol, whether that's a spirit, whether that's culture, whatever it is, somebody else will begin to influence your home if you are not the one first influencing it. And the only powerful influence that we have over the world is not what we do. It's not, well, maybe, it's, it's not our, our planning. It's not our systematics alone. It's through the Spirit of God that we're able to build a home that is dedicated to God. It's only by us being obedient to, to, in, in, our, in our devotional life to God. It's only through that that we're able to build a, a home that is after the Lord. And this is what Joshua was saying 
to the people of Israel. He was saying, look, you're in the promised land. I believe right now, if we have Jesus in our heart, and if we have the Holy Spirit strengthening us, we're in the promised land. But he was saying this, you're in the promised land, but if you're not intentional with your homes, you're going to be influenced by the culture. If you're not intentional with your homes, if you're not intentional with worshiping God, then by default, a false God's going to enter your home. But that's what happens is that values are not lost. Values are leaked. Values are not lost. Values are leaked. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. But if we're able to be consistent in our homes, if we're able to, and that's why it's so important if you're in your home with your family, it's so important to establish a consistent, if it's in the mornings or the nights, but a, a consistent time where the family prays together. Whatever that looks like, as long as the family's together, maybe if that's five minutes in the car on the way to school, if the family's together, guess what? That's a moment to pray. Whatever it looks like, finding those times, those moments to build a consistency culture in your life is what allows our homes to be protected. And that's what Joshua is trying to tell Israel. He's saying, look, in the end, I can't make you follow after God. In the end, the decision is our own. But what Joshua said is that as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen? Just stand to your feet. I'm closing worship team. You can join me. So how do we have the strength to maintain our homes? It's something that I'm learning right now, and all I have is an 11-month-old. So I can't imagine a teenager. But God, prayer I ask, give me strength, Lord. Give me strength, Lord. Because if we try to rely on our own strength, if we try to rely on our own willingness or try to say that by ourselves we can maintain a house that serves the Lord, then we're going to lose it. But God promised us the strength to maintain. Ephesians 3, verse 15. Ephesians 3, verse 15. You want to see where our strength comes from? Here, here's where it comes from. Ephesians 3, 15. It says, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. Paul said, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited, everybody say unlimited, unlimited resources. Man, I want a part of that. Unlimited resources. He will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. It say he will we'll be, it say we are empowered by technology or by something that can be created by the world. No, we are empowered by the Spirit of God. We are empowered by a power that doesn't come from the world, but it comes from heaven. We are empowered from a strength that we can't produce on our own. We can only receive. We can only be obedient to, that we can only align with. It says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him, and your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. How do you have the strength to maintain a home that serves the Lord? It's not by our strength alone. It's not by us trying to figure it out. It's not about us reading enough parenting books or podcasts. It's about us leaning into the Spirit of God and saying, Holy Spirit, I don't have all the answers today. Holy Spirit, I had two hours of sleep today. Holy Spirit, there's 20 things on my list and not enough time to do it. But God, I am not leaning on myself. I'm leaning on you. And where our strength ends is where the Holy Spirit steps in. 
and where we maybe on our own we would lack maybe on our own we would lose our our temper maybe on our own we would begin to give in to temptation maybe we're on our own we begin to lose before now with the spirit of god we begin to win and we begin to have the strength and we begin to have the ability in god and we begin to have the power to overcome what the world is trying to come against us with. It's all through the Spirit of God. What I want us to do right now, if you are with your family, grab your family members' hands if you're with them. If you're by yourself, put your hand on your heart. But here are some declarations that I want us to say over our home. Here are some declarations that together we begin to speak out, that together we can begin to to confess over our homes because our homes are meant to be a place of worship. Our homes are meant to be a place of the presence of God. Our homes are, are created to be a place not where it is without God, but where God is within. So repeat after me and say, as for me and my house, we will walk in love. As for me and my house, we refuse to live in fear. As for me and my house, we will be hungry for God. As for me and my house, we are overcomers. As for me and my house, we will be led by peace. As for me and my house, we will be in good health. As for me and my house, we will live in abundance. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God, give Jesus a shout of praise. Begin to worship him. Begin to make a, a moment of worship, of adoration, of praise. Begin to press in. Begin to let the Holy Spirit begin to strengthen you. As we begin to sing together, Come on, let's begin to press it into this moment. Let's begin to break some generational curses. Let's begin to break some things of the past. And let's begin to have the strength for the present. Come on, with every hand lifted. Come on, let's sing together. We're about to be dismissed. Let's worship. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit Riverside Church tx.com